pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are so good, sovereign God, holy God, and yet give us the opportunity to come to you as a sinner. Thank you, God. And may the meditation of our hearts, of your words, be acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm very excited to see you all. It's been a while to share with you. I guess the last time I was here was like the church is still half empty. And praise the Lord. This is, or next month will be my 32nd year here in Canada with my wife. We arrived here June 6, 1991. Some of you were not born yet. <laughs> and at that time, I, I came up from a mountainous region in the Philippines, came here, doesn't even know what button to press to, 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 to power up a computer. So I, I don't know what to pursue at that time. And after a, a, a friendly conversation with our neighbor, he said, you know, the first thing you have to do, learn to speak better English. <laughs> you know, I, I grew up learning just 20, uh, 20 letters in the alphabet. In our language, the letter C and, and F and Q and J and V, and said they are not part of the alphabet. And so we spell pizzas uh, like pizzas in P-E-T-S-A. So we changed the Z to S. Same with the F and the P. Uh, we don't have the F, so feast become peace. And so we mix up things, and our kids are laughing at us as they grow. Because we say, so what did you cook today, Dad? Well, I cook peas. Ah, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the way we are. And here I am, 32nd, 30, 32 years after. I'm still pursuing. Anyway, today, let me speak up about pursuing. What do you pursue in life? By pursuing, I mean, what do you seek after? What do you chase? What are you pursuing of? Let me cite some things we pursue in life. Like most of us, especially the young, young ones, you came here to Canada or to Ottawa to pursue education. I know some of you are graduating this year or this month and congratulations to you. And then what? Job hunting, 
building wealth, fame. Others are pursuing simple things, like just looking for friends. Real friends to hang with in their free time. But then sometimes you level up, looking for a more serious relationship, looking for a spouse, looking for serious partners in life. While there are those who are still struggling, just looking for basic needs, like food, a place to live. Some of us are emotionally pursuing something, pursuing of peace and love and care and happiness, while there are those who pursue healing and comfort, those who are sick, those who are in pain, those who are grieving, those who are suffering. But whatever be the case, you will notice that we are always in pursuit of something every day. Like, like not, not, not just adults, even children, even babies. Like probably the, 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 the video clip that we're going to see. So what are you in pursuit of? The baby knew what he is chasing. Maybe this is what you are looking for. He's still looking for. <laughs> I didn't realize that's how long a baby searches something. Okay, I think it stopped. Yeah, uh, can we look for the picture uh, where the baby ends up? There you go. It's, it's a good place to hide. It's, it's a good place to rest. But I'm pretty sure it's not a good place to grow up, to grow up and, and hang for, for a long time. But what about those who are, who are in pursuit of not just physical, but, and not just materials, but something that is, is spiritual? By spiritual, the first word that comes to my mind is God. Is God, is God part of something that you are in pursuit of in life? You know, the last several Sundays, our pastors, uh, 
has been hammering up what to pursue in life. Pursue God. Pursue worship. Pursue His glory. Today, this morning, I would like to share with you something about pursuing. And it's the message, the sheep pursuing shepherd. But before we go to a deeper into a, a, a deeper part of the message, let's pray. Lord, again, I pray that you will bless our worship today, the message, that we may find ourselves pursuing something in life, but open our eyes and our hearts that we may find to pursue something more different. And it's you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I would like to share to you the uh, text in John chapter 10, in verses 1 to 18. We won't be reading the whole uh, uh, passage, but we will probably just... Uh, do some verses, one at a time, until we grasp the whole story. John chapter 10, verses 1 to uh, 18. We'll be reading the first six verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheffold by the door, but climb, climbs in by another way, that man, is, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeepers opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls him his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. These figures of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying in them. So in, in, in this passage that we read, we just learned the three main characters. One, there is a sheep. Two, and the sheep pen. And the third one is the shepherd. When I first encountered this story, I would admit that I felt like it's boring. I, I, I grew up in the, in the farm. Um, our house is made up of uh, two floors, and it's made up of light materials, and it's in, on the second floor that we are living, our family. But the, the, the floor is not just like here. You, you got a solid wood, but ours is made up, made up of bamboo. And you can see who's living on, on the first floor. And the first floor actually is a, the ground floor. And there were the chicken leaves. So it's a poultry house on the first floor. And so our house is surrounded by different kinds of animals. We got, the, we got the, the, the pigs and, and some goats and chickens and the dogs and uh, the cattle. 
And, and in other words, I, I fed up, you know, with these animals. And so I, I, I go to church. My, my mom said, let's go to church. And so I, I thought of something that maybe something new I, I will see there, I will learn from there. And here we are, came to the church, and the church is teaching the sheep, the sheep pen, and the shepherd. But anyway, I, nevertheless, I, I, I pursue God. I became interested. I wanted to go to a seminary to become a pastor. But for some reason, I end up taking the course in agriculture. And guess what? My major is animal husbandry. <laughs> How to manage farm animals. And so here we are. We're studying this story about animal farm. But the good thing here is that it's Jesus who's telling the story in this book, in this story, in this passage. Isn't it that great? So I, 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 I think there's some relevance in this story, right? Like many theologians believe that Jesus told this story to reiterate the spiritual blindness which is found in the preceding chapter, actually the last verses of, uh, of, of chapter um, 10. And in chapter 9, verses uh, 35, uh, this is what we will read. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not, not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Jesus was preaching and teaching in his, and, and healing in his uh, first early days in mission. And this is what he's doing. He's preaching, he's healing, and especially those who are blind. But at this point in time, Jesus is uh, uh, talking about a different kind of blindness, which is a spiritual blindness. In, in, in driving, we, we call this a blind spot. It's something that you are an, an area where you are obstructed, and you don't see what's happening in there. But it's very close to you. It's, so this is something that like Jesus teaches this for us to see the dangers on the side. I know some of you or a lot of us here in this church have kids. And maybe you have the chance to go and vis visit a farm. Maybe you have just told them uh, what you see in the farm. What do you tell your children? Do you tell your okay, today, this afternoon, we're going to the farm. We're going to see the shepherd. Or maybe you will say, we're going to see the sheep pen. 
No, right? We don't tell them. We tell them we see animals. We see the sheep. And so this is the relevance of this story. That in this story, Jesus could have centered the sheep as the main character, the, the, the focus of the story. But at the start, in the beginning of the story, Jesus didn't tell about the sheep. Jesus didn't tell about the pen, the sheep pen. But Jesus tell about the shepherd. You think, what will happen if you tell them, go guys, we're going go to go to the farm. We'll see a shepherd. You think the kids will, will, will come with you? Maybe not, eh? So this is the relevance that Jesus told this story in order for us to see the blind spot in our life. In order for us to see and, and, and think about and assess, what do we pursue in life? Usually, we pursue not the shepherd, but the sheep. Not God, but his creation. So in this message, I will walk through with you to a farm animal farm. And at the same time, we will cross to another farm. And that's the farm, the God's farm of people. In God's farm of people, I will be talking more of Jesus as the shepherd, of the sheep pen as his kingdom, of the sheep, of the sheep as you and me, we are the sheep. And as we go through, there are maybe three, four things that you have to look at. First, is Jesus, what is Jesus reminding me? Second, is there any warning that I should be aware of? Third, what are the challenges in joining God's farm? And fourth, is there any invitation? Amen. And so right there from the beginning, Jesus reminds us that before we focus on the sheep and the sheep pen, let's talk first about the shepherd. In verse 1 to 6, it's clear Jesus started with a man who wants to enter the farm. Truly, truly, I say to you, he, he who does not enter the shef shefold by the door but climb in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeepers open. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by the name and leads them out. When he has brought, when he has brought out of his, oh, he has brought out all his own. He he goes before them, and the sheep follows him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So what we read is a total opposite of how we grew up. 
Usually we care for the activities in the farm. Uh, usually is the, we, we ask is the question, the question that is the farm nice? Is the farm clean or dirty? Is the, is, is the animal, does the animals there behave well? Is it safe to go there? Is it peaceful to go there? Are there no other wild animals? Are there any activities? So we look for activities. Should we enjoy the farm? And so these are the questions that actually lies not on the sheep or the pen. Jesus is pointing out that we should not be fooled by the attractions among the sheep or the activities that's happening in the farm. That first of all, you know, we have to know that the beauty and the ugliness of the farm rests on the kind of labor and care provided by the shepherd who is running the farm. Jesus warned his listener of the nature of the shepherd we are dealing with. The fake shepherd does not enter the sheep by pen or by the gate, but climbs some other way. Jesus didn't even call the man fake shepherd. He just say the man. He is compared to a thief, to a robber, and to a stranger's. He doesn't know what the farm is. He is just a pretender. He pretends. He actually doesn't care. A fake shepherd has no keys to go inside. Much more, the watchman doesn't know him and does not open the gate for him. He is not a shepherd at all. But the good shepherd, the good shepherd, in verse 2, and in verse 3, the watchman recognizes him and opens the gate for him. A good shepherd knows every sheep of his own, calls them by name, and leads them to the green pasture. Every sheep knows his voice and follows him in and out of the sheep pen. Jesus used the story of the farm to present a picture of God's farm of people. And if there's one main idea that this story is teaching us, we can express it this way. That Jesus is teaching us that he is the good shepherd of God's farm. We go to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the shepherd. Verse 14 declares Jesus himself as the good shepherd. He continues to remind us by painting a vivid picture of what to expect of a good shepherd. So the central object of God's farm is not the sheep, nor the sheep pen, or the kingdom, but the shepherd. He serves as the gate. He said, I am the gate. He himself 
is the gatekeeper. Verse 7 says, he is a gate, and if someone wants to enter God's farm, you have to go through Jesus. Nothing else. If you are pursuing God in your life, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate of the sheep. The question is, do you want to enter God's farm? Basically, he's saying that it's not the pastor, it's not the elders, it's not the priests, it's not the ministers. It's not the farmer's association or becoming a member of a farmer's association. And definitely, you cannot enter God's farm by just climbing the fence. In order, it's only through Jesus, the good shepherd, because Jesus is the good shepherd of God's farm who leads his flock in and out of the green pastures. A good shepherd knows every sheep of his own, calls them by name, leads them his flocks, and in and out of the green pastures. Does the Lord know your name? Does Jesus know your name? Every sheep knows his voice and follows him in and out of the green pasture, in and out of the sheep pen. If Jesus is a good shepherd and in God's farm, then the sheep represents you and me. We are the flocks. It is a blessing to learn that there is a fine connection, there is a fine relation between the sheep and the shepherd. He opens the gate for us, he calls us by our name, he leads us to the pasture land, and that's what the shepherd does. Who is your shepherd in your life? King David. King David in Psalm 3 says that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. In God's farm of people, King David proclaimed that the good shepherd leads him and leads us in and out of the pasture land. He restores our soul and guides us to the path of righteousness. Like King David, we can claim those passages. If you accept Jesus as the good shepherd of your life, he is ready to restore your soul. Not only that, but Jesus is the good shepherd of God's farm who lays down his life for the sheep. We probably know the many dangers in the farm. I grew up in the farm. Last time I'd been in the farm was in December this year. And while, while walking on the path, along the path, going to the other farm, I just encountered a Philippine cobra just two meters away from me. I stared at the snake, stared at me. I just pray. That's the only thing I can do. 
after 10, 15 seconds, the cobra left. And I saw the frag right one meter beside me. The cobra is trying to eat the frag. There's so much dangers. But here, Jesus talked about the shepherd pretenders who tor- turns into, turn into robbers, the thieves, and strangers who climb the fence and destroy the sheep. The coward hard workers who run away in times of changes, of, of the dangers, instead of protecting the sheep. And the hungry wolves who consider the sheep as prey and attack the flock. No mercy any time. With no mercy any time of the day. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolves snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. This story served as a warning for us. Who is the good shepherd in our life? Can you describe the kind of shepherd you are following in your life? Hear me saying this, that Jesus did the opposite. He didn't come to steal or to hurt you. In fact, he is the good shepherd who offered his life for the sake of the sinners. The lowly, the vulnerable sheep. Jesus laid down his life for you and me. No one forced him to do so. He did it out of love for the sheep. In his letter to the Romans, Paul reminds us that when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely does one die for a righteous man, though for a good man they might possibly dare to die. For God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. So there, there, there are lots of activities in the farm, much more of God's farm. Just, just take a look here at Calvary Baptist Church. One of God's farm. Look, look what Christ has done here as a good shepherd. He brought us here one by one. He is our good shepherd. He opens the gate. He restores our soul, and for us, we continue to treat him as the central object of our worship. We worship God here. We grow together and serve others. Inside the sheep pen, the restoration of the soul continues as we preach and study his word, as we pray and sing and worship together. Many of you experience the joy and the energy to grow in your relationship with a good shepherd and with one another. And there's so much to do because many are hurting as well. Many are like 
lost in their direction, where to go from here. But just to remind us again, Jesus is the good shepherd of God's farm. He leads and guides his flocks in and out of the pasture land. Yes, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he lays down his life for his flock, but there is one final point, at least in our message today, that I need to em- emphasize. Jesus is the good shepherd who keeps pursuing for other sheep who are still out there on the loose. In verse 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this Sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I just did say earlier that Jesus is the center object of God's farm. He is the gate, He is the watchman, He is the owner of the sheep pen. The provider, the protector, the good shepherd, the savior of the flock. Right? And on our part, we listen to his voice and follow his lead. And so we can see that the relation is mutual. However, in the story of God's farm, it doesn't end there. We shouldn't be complacent. As we enjoy glorifying this glorifying relationship, Jesus has another concern. He is looking, he is cowering, he is tracing and tracking other sheep who are there on the wild, on the loose. In Matthew 9, 35, verses uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 35 to 39, and this is what we'll read. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing in every disease, every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest. Maybe when we look at our sheep pen, it looks like it's full. And yet for the Lord, it's not. Because the Lordship pen is wide. We're talking about the kingdom and how to be helped, how to be used by God in reaching out, in building, in becoming his partners in kingdom building. There are still sheep that still out there. I must bring them in to this sheep pen, wow. 
Do you see now what I'm seeing? All along, I thought that I am pursuing God. All along, I thought I am pursuing a good shepherd. But no. The truth is, it's Jesus who is pursuing us. He is the sheep pursuing shepherd. All we are like sheep who have, who have gone astray. That's what Isaiah said. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are all sheep who have gone astray. So at this point, Jesus turned the table around. Jesus turns the table around. I became a little object. And he became an active agent. Agent looking for me. And he found me and shows his love, mercy, and grace. He is more than a good shepherd. He is the Christ. He is God. In verse 30 of John 10, he says, Jesus said, I am my father, our one. And right now, I don't know about you, but this is what I'm focusing on. To know and pursue him more. To equip myself of his wisdom, not for self-satisfaction, but to experience Jesus' complete transformation in my life. That the other sheep in the wild, on the loose, may see the good shepherd in me. As a new missionary among the farmers in the Philippines, I started working and writing about farming theology. Well, I, I'm a farmer, but I'm not a theologian. And so I started studying and reading a bit of theology. And so I, I, I can't... Um, stop myself comparing uh, some subjects in, like, in, in, in agriculture, like agronomy and entomology to theology. By agro agronomy, I'm talking about uh, the, uh, some, some of the uh, growing crops, like potatoes and, and rice. And, and entomology is the study of insects. And so uh, how can I compare it to theology, which is the study of God? And so right there, I. I I got, I got some problems with, with my studies because right away I, f I, I found my limitations. I depend so much on my five senses, like seeing and touching, smelling and testing, and tasting and hearing. In, in agriculture, I can easily apply that. When you see and you touch and you taste and you hear. But in theology, how can we understand God? How can I pursue someone that I do not see and touch and hear and feel and taste and smell? This is the problem of Thomas, you know, in John chapter 20, in verse 25. You know what Thomas said? Seeing, oh, talking about when God was risen, and the disciples, everybody is talking. 
Thomas, one of the disciples, said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe it. That's a problem. Because the only way to pursue God is by faith. This is what I want to share with you today, and this is what, and this is what I'm sharing with the farmers back home in the Philippines. It's the same Jesus. And my wife and I have been with them, and we're teaching them this sheep-pursuing shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, he knows what Thomas is lacking. Jesus, in his mercy and grace, reaches out. And from his glory, Jesus stepped down to Thomas' world of unbelief. A week later, Jesus went, showed up, to the same house. And right there he proves that he is the good shepherd that doesn't need a gate. Right there in the midst he showed up. The door was locked. He doesn't need the keys. Say, okay, here am I. Here am I, Thomas. Peace to everyone. And then the invitation happens. Jesus said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting. Stop your unbelief. Believe. I think in that story, I just noticed that John forgot something in, while John is writing the story. You know what he forgot? He forgot to write down if Thomas put in his hands into the side of Jesus. Put, he, I think he forgot to place, to put in if Jesus put his fingers on his hand. The only thing that, 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 that John wrote is that the expression of, of Thomas my Lord and my God. But at the same time, I think this was intentionally done. I think he doesn't, John doesn't need to write that. Because usually this is our expression when we encounter God, the good shepherd. Because this is not the way God wants us to respond. Usually we set conditions. We say, you know, I will believe you, God, if you do this, if you say this, if you give me this. But no. My Lord and my God. The same expression in the psalmist in Psalm 89, 8. Who is like you, Lord? God Almighty. Jeremiah 10.6 express, who is like you, Lord God Almighty? None is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. It's what we used to express. 
just an awe about our God. Whether Thomas placed his hand on Jesus' side or placed the fingers on Jesus Christ's um, side, I don't think it matters at all. But I know Thomas believed. Jesus confirms it. Confirmed it. Because you have seen me. Because you have seen me, you have believed. And that's the problem with us. Because God is a God that we couldn't see. This morning, I would like to leave you with a reminder, with an invitation and a challenge. Believe. John 20, 29, Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you that we, through your spirit, can see our spiritual blindness. And thank you, Lord, because all through years, we pursued you, and yet here is the truth, that it's you who pursued us. And may this morning speak these words, this message to us, that you are still pursuing until today, that we may believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.